Today's guest is here to discuss the non-physical form of aggression. Although we do have a growing sense, I believe, of what non-physical aggression can look like, we'll find out more in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And I am very pleased to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Loretta Hobbs. Dr. Hobbs is an organizational effectiveness practitioner and subject matter expert on organizational systems and the people side of change. Dr. Hobbs, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, Dr. Hobbs, tell us a little bit about what it means to be an organizational effectiveness practitioner. What exactly does that mean? What it really means is that there, that organizations, every organization has a way of working, every organization has a culture, some work better than others, uh, pretty much all of them have uh, issues and concerns they need to work through in order to improve uh, and work effectively to accomplish the mission and to uh, allow the people who work within those organizations to uh, be their best selves while they're working there in those organizations. And what organizational effectiveness people do is help organizations through things such as team building or conflict resolution or all kinds of things, strategic planning, um, helping uh, to diagnose uh, certain issues in organizations or helping organizations figure out uh, I've gotten to this plateau, I want to reach a higher plateau now, or a different plateau. How do I do that? And so we're the kind of people, we come in lots of different labels. Uh, some people are organization design, some people organization development, uh, systems engineers, uh, black belts, uh, come into all kinds of different uh, facets of that. Uh, but the point is to help organizations figure out how to achieve their mission in the best way possible. Well, you heard me also say to uh, to the uh, audience today that you were going to be talking to us about non-physical forms of aggression. So how does that show up in an organization? I would say in lots of organizations it shows up every single day. And because this is something that happens among people. And so people in organizations uh, interact, and some of those interactions turned out to be aggressive, and and through being aggressive, some of them turn out to be quite harmful. And it turns out there are lots of different types of non-physical aggression. Uh, the one that people are probably most familiar with is bullying, you know, and bullying, uh, it's intimidating, it's abusive, uh, and it has a point to it, and the point is having power over and being able to uh, control somebody's will. Uh, but there are other, many other types as well. So uh, I'm guessing that your audience is familiar with the phenomenon, the mean girls phenomena. And what that particular type of aggression was, has been and is about is actually um, controlling relationships. And if you think about those movies uh, or things, you know, articles or whatever about mean girls, the idea is they're in groups and out groups and we can let you in or keep you out or control who you date or not date and, um, you know, and um, control if you want to be elected to a school uh, president, you know, we can control all of that. And so it's about harming relationships. That's the point of it. 
there's direct aggression, you know, just kind of what we call in-your-face aggression, but there's indirect aggression, which is kind of interesting because uh, you think it's coming from one direction and it's really not. So the person with whom, the persons with whom you're interacting, that you think the aggression is, you know, resonant in, is really not, that's not where it's coming from. It's what you call sort of a classic setup. So give us an example, give us an example of what that mm-hmm. would look like in the workplace. Okay. Uh, well, let me give you an example of microaggression, and okay. I can double back around. Microaggression is uh, it's a subtle kind of aggression. Uh, and the one I, the idea that example that I thought of was when Tiger Woods first uh, won his first Masters, and you know this was historic. This uh, person of color, young person, uh, wins the Masters of all things, and. Uh, this is something that uh, was known around the world, and they gave him the green jacket and then asked him if he wanted a chicken dinner. So as a person of color, I'm pretty sure that didn't get lost on most people of color, but that was, uh, it was a slight. It was a yeah. way of kind of like knocking me down a pig. Yeah. And so that, that subtle type of aggression, which people would just kind of laugh off and so forth, it leaves a sting. Um, and that one is called microaggression. And actually, this the idea of microaggression and the study of it back in the 70s out of a, from a Harvard um, psychiatrist, Chester Pierce, really is what got a lot of people into thinking about these different forms of, of uh, non-physical aggression. Well, when you, you reference the experience that Tiger Woods had uh, and you describe that mm-hmm. form of microaggression, it, it, it sounds mm-hmm. like it's also the kind of aggression that one can't directly really rail against. I mean, if he, if Tiger Woods had said, what are you talking about? You know, why are you offering me a chicken dinner? There would be any number of people who would say, what's wrong with him? Exactly. And that's part of the uh, effect of the aggression. Sometimes these things are, you know, they happen in such a way that it's hard to, in the moment, even know what's really happening, although I think Tiger got that message in the moment. Uh, But sometimes, uh, indeed, the study that I did, uh, one thing that was really common is a lot of people wind up confused about what's really going on here. And so if if you feel mm -hmm. confused about what's going on, that also seems to me would take away a little bit of your power your experience of your power, because you're starting to feel a little bit off balance. Is that what's going on? Correct. Okay. Correct. And in each form of, you know, each of these forms of aggression, uh, including lateral aggression, which has been studied mostly in nurses, among nurses, where they, you know, the phenomena is senior nurses, junior nurses, and the idea of they eat their young. Mm -hmm. Um, happens. And so, in, but in each of those I identified, and I'm sure there are about 20 others, um, uh, the idea is it has a way of uh, possibly helping to deconstruct the person's self, self-esteem. And so you hear why you think you're, you know, this person, and then all of a sudden you get these messages that, oh, you're not that person, actually, you're this other person. Or you don't, you know, have the kind of... Um, stature that you thought you had because the feedback you get is something quite different. 
Dr. Hobbs, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue this really interesting conversation about the different forms of aggression that people experience, which goes way beyond physical aggression. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. We'll be right back. Dr. Hobbs, as I'm thinking about what you are describing uh, in terms of non-physical aggression, it, it, it reminds me of much of the fallout that, for example, uh, folks who have experienced physical aggression can experience in that it takes away your sense of yourself, it takes away your sense of choice, takes away your sense of power. It's really depleting emotionally. Yes, as a matter of fact, there's a, <clears throat> a really uh, interesting example, I think, uh, that we could look at. Um, you may recall uh, Gabby Douglas, Gabrielle Douglas, yes. who was a gold medalist back in the 2012 Olympics. Yes. And she was, you know, making tens and you know, and so she was considered a phenomena, and not that many African Americans have been on that stage and done that well, and so she was quite heralded. Uh, but then uh, there was this this internet chatter that she got hold of uh, about her hair. There were people who started talking about her hair, and all of a sudden. She who is on top of the world all of a sudden is being brought down. Uh, it's a particular type of aggression that I call the pull down. Um, and it's, you know, I don't think, you know, it's not likely that the people who were talking about her hair were trying to do anything to her. But there were, they certainly had some issues with her hair, whatever those issues were. And it did hurt her uh, in a very um, uh, public way because here, here she had been making tens and very high scoring. And after that situation happened, um, she there was this time when she was beginning to perform again, and she wasn't even scoring, huh. or scored very very low. It was such a graphic way of illustrating what the pull-down aggression can do because, in, you know, it had to be very hurtful to her uh, and so, you know, her concentration was off and, uh, etc. But it was, but the facts are she was high scoring and all of a sudden she was very low scoring. So, and, so, and that happened after the incident, yeah. It, it, it sounds like Though that change in behavior could also be indicative of depression. Is depression a natural component or an understandable component of the kind of aggression that you're talking about? Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, and some of the people I interviewed, um, people did talk about depression, 
there are several monikers that people gave to the phenomena, uh, feeling humiliated, belittled, um, and uh, depression is something that did come up a couple of times. Uh, some other descriptors, people felt disempowered, ashamed, uh, felt that they were made small, um, and were, uh, felt that maybe they weren't as competent uh, as they should have been, felt taken down uh, and unsettled. And so, yes, uh, depression is very much a, a reasonable um, condition that results from this. Now, I heard you say a minute ago that the people who were engaging in the behavior that felt so harmful to Gabby Douglas didn't necessarily know the effects of what they were doing. So if you don't know that you're doing it, how do you not do it? I think with the phenomena that I've labeled pull-down aggression, there are people who don't know that they're doing it. Uh, they may be aren't lying, but they might be right in front of you. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes people think, you know, they're making a joke. But it's a difference between impact and intent. The intent may be there, but maybe it's not there. But the impact is felt nonetheless. Okay. So is there a way, I, I think I'm asking the same question, is there a way mm-hmm. for someone who's engaging in that kind of behavior to know it for themselves that that's what they're doing and then to stop it? Yes, I think, I think it's true that it can happen, but this is where getting this, uh, popularizing these ideas becomes really important. So, for example... There was a time in the history of this country where bullying was just sort of considered a rite of passage, a thing that happened on the playground, no big deal. In today's world, that's not the case. Right. It still happens, but people understand it better now, and people uh, react to it differently now. So does it happen? Yes. But do, do are people better armed to deal with bullying in today's world? Yes, to some degree, they are. And I think the more people, um, particularly in workplaces and in social life, understand what pull-down aggression is all about, I think the better people will be armed in in dealing with it. Um, Pull-down aggression was something that uh, I studied uh, among people who were doing very well socially and professionally and so on, and... uh, but at the same time, uh, when that aggression hit them, it ha- had various ways of harming them. For some people, some people lost jobs, some people lost reputations, some people lost stature, some people lost their uh, peace of mind. Uh, various things began to happen uh, as the aggression took place, and it, uh, to some degree, it depended on how public it was. Um, you know, um, and I can tell you there were various things that came out of it, one of which was that some people felt blindsided and others felt uh, abandoned, that they were left hanging by colleagues. And that this is because organizational systems often will not protect people who are aggressed upon. Uh, organizational systems tend to protect themselves they tend to protect themselves from litigation. They tend to protect their organizational reputation. They tend to protect how their reputation in the public public domain. 
but in terms of how individuals are protected in organizations, it's quite varied. Uh, in some cases, there is a way, you know, some organizations have grown and, and have, um, you know, uh, ways of um, addressing things or at least a space where people can come and talk. Others don't. And so what often happens in organizational systems, the system itself is protecting itself, and people who uh, are aggressed upon often are left feeling abandoned, uh, even by colleagues. And more often than not, what will happen is the people who might sympathize with them will do it out of the out of the eye of others in the organization because they don't want to be shunned in the organization as well. Huh. And so they may they may come to that. This is what the result of results of the study show, they will come, you know, and they'll call you and, gee, I'm sorry that happened. I think you got a raw deal, that kind of thing. But in terms of standing up for you in the public domain, that tends not to happen. Does, they, they don't want to have the similar experience. And, yeah. and one can understand why when they look at the results that it's having on the other. Absolutely. Does this tend to happen more between women or men? Or is this sort of gender neutral? Doesn't matter who you are. This this little small study that I did showed that this happens to anyone by anyone. Uh, I have had uh, women who've aggressed upon men, uh, men who've aggressed upon women, people of color who've aggressed upon uh, non, uh, you know, on white people. I've had uh, Caucasian people aggress upon people of color. So it's pretty neutral. It can come from anywhere, and it can affect anyone. And more than anything, it has to do with power dynamics. Who has power and influence inside organizational systems to actually aggress upon somebody and to make it stick in some way? When you talk about organizational systems, I think the tendency is to think about the large companies or businesses in which people mm -hmm. work. Does this also happen mm -hmm. in families? Family is a system. Okay. The family is a system. And absolutely, power relations absolutely exist within families. And with very small, tiny organizations, power dynamics exist. Within a couple of them, power dynamics exist. So in each of those are systems, whether it's very small or whether it's very large. And so an example of this would be, uh, we call this, you know, the, the levels of system. There's the interpersonal, the interpersonal, like between a couple, but you could have a group level, like in, you know, workplace or something. But you could also have people being hurt at a macro level. So uh, we heard uh, where the many of the com com uh, countries in uh, Africa and Latin America were called S-hole countries. Well, that probably hurt at a macro level, that probably hurt their national pride. And mm -hmm. so to be identified in that way, that was a pull down. That was, um, you know, a pull down aggression, an act of it. And it is something that, uh, you know, was intended to, um, uh, aggress against societies of people. So it doesn't it doesn't matter the actual size, whether it's a couple 
or whether it's, you know, a whole society. It can occur at any level. Dr. Hobbs, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to touch on what people can do who feel as though they have been physically aggressed against. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. We'll be back in just a minute. Dr. Hobbs, as we've been saying, this form of non-physical aggression, so invisible but so very powerful, what can one do if one feels as though they are being aggressed against? Is there any sort of emotional armor that you can recommend? There are things I can recommend, but nothing that I've studied. Okay. but just listening to uh, a number of the people I've talked with who shared their stories generously, uh, one of the things that came up that I thought was pretty interesting is that people said sometimes staying in relationship with those who have aggressed uh, against one is a powerful way of regaining power. By staying in the relationship. So staying by staying in relationship as opposed to allowing that aggression to cast them outside. So it's not always possible, especially in case of a loss like a job loss or a position loss or something like that, uh, that it's not always possible to stay in relationship. But in cases where people can stay in relationship, it has a way of minimizing the, the power of the aggressor. Well, that's interesting. So that is one way. How, how does mm-hmm. how do you what's your sense of how that impacts the aggressor? Is he or she aware that the power dynamic is shifting? That would be interesting to know. Hmm. Um, that would be interesting to know. Okay. And there's so many aspects to it because you know, in some of these cases, the aggressor. Uh, was not necessarily trying to do something against the person, but the impact was there nonetheless. But in cases where that person was trying to do something against, let's say if it's in a workplace and you come back into the the work relationship and you are still, you know, upbeat and aggressive and you're performing well, it kind of minimizes at least what's going on for other people around you. So it so it may mm-hmm, it may undercut uh-huh. the power of the aggressor to do what they've done. Do you have a sense of a type of organization that is more or less receptive to this kind of information that you're sharing with us today? I think I think um, no, I do not have a sense tell you the truth. Okay. Uh, I mean, because I think this particular kind of phenomena happens in churches. Mm. It happens in medical facilities. It happens in Fortune 500. So I think it's really about wherever this type of phenomena exists. 
it, it is uh, creating an environment where people uh, who are responsible for the culture and values in the organization learn about this. Just like people have taken up the case of bullying, it's, it's learned. So people like me should be writing more <laughs> about this phenomenon. <laughs> did, did you just so give yourself a homework can, assignment? I, I kind of did. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's something that people need to know about so that people can learn about it and can hear the stories and hear the impact of it. But I can tell you, you know, there, there are five uh, classic injuries that uh, were identified that came out of this uh, study. And the one that really, um, you know, piques my, uh, pulls my heartstrings is spiritual injury and spiritual injury in the sense of having emotional residue or or having a sense of despair or humiliation so it's the damage the injury to the spirit of the person uh, was a huge injury and so i would think you know things that people can do to heal their spirit uh, be it, you know, things that people can do to, to regain their self-consciousness or, and putting themselves in, in positive spaces and environments where they can be around positive people and so on, where they're regaining their sense of confidence, I think would be a really important thing to think about. Now, for the folks listening who are saying, you know, this is just some people being too thin skin and if you just Mm -hmm. get over it you'll be able to get over it what do you say to them too thin skin uh oh this is just office politics you hear that uh this happens all the time you hear that all of these things are um you know uh would be um normal things that people would say. But I would uh, refer them back to the issue of bullying. So in the issue of bullying, should people just get over it? Uh, when the bully does whatever they do, how do people handle that? Especially when you're not going to get much support around you because other people don't want to be bullied either. How do you uh, take a phenomenon where people are basically kind of abandoned or left alone and are... Um, put in a, a rather powerless position. Uh, so it's, you know, if a person has thicker skin, it doesn't mean they're not going to be injured in some way, especially if they lose their jobs behind this. And there were people in the study who did lose their jobs, by the way. I think about 68% of the people studied, and it was a small study, but 68% of them said that eventually they had to leave, whether they left because they got fired or they left because it, the situation was just untenable for them. And so they left. It was take another job uh, or another position. Uh, but, just, you know, it was just too much stress and strain for them. Uh, so I do think trying to think positively, I do think trying to think in terms of forgiveness. If forgiveness is an amazing thing. Um, it's not always, as people say, it's not always for the other person. Sometimes it's for one's own spirit. Right. Um, Yes, and um, being able to realize that, you know, you may or may not get protected in the system, so you don't set yourself up for 
uh, a scenario where you believe that justice will prevail and the organization will protect me, because in most cases that's just not going to happen. Uh, how do you, you know, it's like we talked about earlier in the case of Tiger Woods. How do you say, well, this is offensive and people get it? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, some people are going to get it, but, you know, other people won't get it. And we'll actually come to the defense of the person who committed the aggression. So it's, you know, this is where I think trying to do the things that heal the spirit are going to be the most powerful and fundamental. But I think also believing in oneself and putting oneself in circumstances where the sense of self and self-esteem uh gets, um, you know, reconstructed, not deconstructed. Dr. Loretta Hobbs, who is an organizational effectiveness practitioner and subject matter expert on organizational systems and the people side of change, I have to thank you so much for sharing this information with our listeners today. And when that next study comes out, I expect you'll come back and share that as well. At least I hope you will. I'll be I'll be more than happy to do that. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you regularly as a public service. It is an educational tool and is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a licensed clinician or other practitioner. Mind Talk is available to you at mindtalk.org, M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G, 24-7. There are several other platforms, uh, iTunes, Alexa, you name it. We're probably there, but if we're not, just let us know, and we will do our best to get on your favorite platform as well. If you'd like to email me directly, that's Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. Again, that's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember, too, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. (laughs) 